Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world more disappointing than the 2023 San Diego Padres. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Prepare to be underwhelmed, but at least we're not overpaid. A lot of people tuning in on this Monday morning thinking this could be one of the best podcasts we've ever seen. Look at the talent assembled. Look at this roster of two co-hosts. Don't get too excited. We are not going to the postseason. Jake Mintz on this episode of Baseball Barbacast. We're going to talk about those San Diego Padres who got swept over the weekend in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're going to talk about the Seattle Mariners, the first place Seattle Mariners. Let me say that again. The first place Seattle Mariners. I left the Friday show saying, who's going to be in first place in the AL West when we talk on Monday? We have our answer. It's the first place Seattle Mariners. It me. <laughs> it me. It me. The M's. Uh, five weeks to go in the regular season, so the stakes are getting up there. We are going to wrap the weekend and all the series that were talk about. Uh, some, unfortunately, some more UCL injuries, a walk-off homer in Williamsport to win it all, and Jake is in Canada, and we certainly have to talk about that. Oh, and of course, we have a Livy Dunn and Paul Skeen's update. Don't you worry, folks. Don't you worry. But Jake, where would you like to begin with our Monday weekend wrap hitting all 15 series that happened? What do you think? Before we do that, Jordan, I would like to remind people that they should subscribe to our podcast. If you're listening to my mediocre voice right now, chances are you already do subscribe. But if you don't, make sure you smash. Make sure you pummel that subscribe button. Mm -hmm. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell any mediocre acquaintances you have about this baseball podcast. We genuinely believe it is one of the best 28 baseball podcasts in the world. Yeah. And as you mentioned, right, tell your enemies. Maybe if you're listening and you don't like it, there's still people you can Mm. tell to subscribe and listen, people you don't like. So, again, anything else, we really, really appreciate that. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get the show started. Where would you like to begin? You know, weekend wrap, we'll, we'll run through the sweeps, the series wins, the splits. Just one split this week in a opportunity on the south side. But, Jake, let's begin with the sweeps. Three sweeps this weekend, headlined, of course, by my favorite baseball team, my favorite sports team. I, I, I was kind of reckoning with this last week. I was on a Mariners podcast. Like, oh, you know, you came Mariners show. I was like, 
I don't have another team. Like, this is all – even Seattle fans are, like, dying over what's happening with the Kraken and the Seahawks. I'm just like, I don't give a shit. Like, I, all my energy is going into Jose Caballero. So, this is a very fun time <laughs> for me. That's awesome. Um, the Mariners played the Royals, which is always nice. They faced off against the Royals recently, and it was a mess of a series. This was more straightforward. The headliner here for me is that Julio Rodriguez – is firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and this was obviously true last week, you know, when he had uh, 17 hits in four games, but it has continued. He has not cooled off at all. I think a great, uh, the rhetoric around this, which I'm loving from Julio, is they keep saying, oh, you guys are so hot, hottest team in baseball. And Julio's basically like, you know, we're not hot. Like, this is like this is what we're capable of. And while I don't necessarily believe that about like Josh Rojas running like a 150 WRC plus with the Mariners, like I, clearly he's improved and he was better than he was with the Diamondbacks. This is Julio. Like when he he is capable of being one of the best players in baseball, and that alone can you know carry a team to a ridiculous degree. They win seven five Friday. They hit a franchise record seven home runs on Saturday, winning fifteen to two, and then squeaking out a, a close one three to two. Luis Castillo. Marvelous in that one. Munoz shutting it down. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, in, in some ways it's just taking care of business. You sweep the Royals at home, but the Royals have proven to be a bit of a pain in the ass. And so while they certainly weren't on Saturday, uh, you know, getting those those three wins when this is when they need to do that, because the schedule is going to get harder in September. And so to get into first place all alone is just delightful. And and it's it's really cool, man. Really cool. The the funny thing about the Mariners, I remember when when we were in Seattle for the all-star game talking to Mariners fans and Mariners employees the general vibe was like we're worried because the only way this team makes something happen is if they get outrageously hot like they did last year when they won right. however many it was in a yeah, row and 14 there's in no, a row. Mm -hmm. they won 14 in a row right and so it's like there's no way that's going to happen again this year and then it just did and so that's outstanding hot end summer they're somehow hotter than they were. I mean, they are now 19 and 5 in August. Um and now they, you know, get to play the A's three times at home. So, again, it's going to be it's it's not it's not going to be this this simple and as as Ted, we'll get to Texas here in a little bit like as Texas has shown us, you can be really hot and really cold, you know, on and off. I mean, Texas started this month on an eight-game uh, winning streak, and now they look like the worst team we've ever seen. So it can flip quickly, but to be even be in this position, as a lot of Mariners fans have pointed out, to even be in this position after looking so painfully average for so long is really cool and really fun, no matter where it goes from here. So that was certainly the biggest sweep of the weekend, but we had two other ones. The Phillies sweeping the Cardinals at home in Philadelphia a year and a month ago, basically. The Phillies and Cardinals faced off in the NL wild card round. Mm -hmm. The Phillies went into St. Louis and took two games. Everyone was surprised. Mm -hmm. Much has changed since then, Mr. Schusterman. Mm -hmm. Much has changed. Mm -hmm. And here we have the Philadelphia Phillies obliterating the Cardinals into the sun. Quick work. The cards are now only four back, back up of the Chicago White Sox. Strong lottery position for them. And the Phillies... We have, after so much uh, disorganization in the NL wildcard, we're starting to get some clarity that the Phillies are better than everyone else. They are firmly the best wildcard team. 
Yeah. And, you know, they would be running away with the uh, – or at least it would be it would be close. I know right now they – because the Brewers have been so hot. We'll get to them in a second. But this is it's, – it's kind of looked like this for a while, but now they're playing like this. For a while, it was like we thought they were the best team, but we couldn't make a strong argument based on record. Now it feels like they can get some separation. And, you know, unfortunately – they're in the division with the team on pace for 110 wins or whatever. So the the biggest development for them over the weekend is that the starting pitching mm-hmm. is starting to turn and look a lot better than it was at the beginning of the season. Aaron Nola, seven innings, no runs, nine Ks. And again, the Cardinals are not good, but the lineup is. It's still a pretty good lineup. Zach Wheeler, one run, seven innings, 10 Ks in his start. Christopher Sanchez, who's been a revelation, two runs, six Ks, and six innings. So seeing this Phillies rotation that we saw in October last year, Wheeler has been great and unlucky all season long, but Nola has lost himself tens of millions of dollars by being squarely mediocre to this point this season, upcoming free agent. If he's starting to really turn a corner and they can roll Wheeler-Nola one-two punch back out there, this team is just... Like, they'll just make noise again in October yep. as they did in 2022. Yep, I agree. And, and would, would put them in especially good position to, you know, win that first that first wild card round, which they are are destined to be stuck in because the Braves are so far ahead. But, yeah, I mean, they outscored the Cardinals 22-3 uh, to three this weekend. So just dominant. Everyone's having a good time at the bank. Let's move to Milwaukee where the Brewers swept the Padres. The Padres had some moments here, uh, and then just... (laughs) Jake and I have been kind of not disagreeing strongly about the Padres, but you've wanted to hold out hope for the last month or so. And this weekend, it seems like... Where I was telling you, like, look, man, like, I love a lot of these players, too. They're having good seasons. For whatever reason, it is not going to happen. And so it feels like this weekend you finally kind of accepted that. You texted me. I think it was before Saturday's game when they had an even more embarrassing loss. So that, you know, really proved it right. But Brewers on a W8, they probably deserve more credit than, you know, shitting on the Padres now. But let's let's bury the Padres here because at this point, man, you know, Machado smashing coolers. The bullpen is just completely imploding. Bob Melvin is basically admitting because, you know, when you're a team like the Padres and they were doing this for the, with the Yankees for a while, right? Where it was like, you have so much ground to make up. You have all this. And at some point, Aaron Boone's like, we got to win one game. And Bob Melvin yesterday was basically like, we can't look at the standings anymore. We just have to win a couple games in a row, which has been the whole problem for the Padres all season. My commitment to this ball club is based around a commitment to science. <laughs> I believe in science. And for me, it seemed inconceivable that an assortment of so many good baseball players could create a product of such bad baseball. That did not compute. The input and the output did not match one another. And so I remained faithful to science. However, my faith in science is gone. <laughs> and now I believe in the extraterrestrial Jordan, the metaphysical Because what we, I think, determined, and this really cleared it up in my head for me about these Padres, they are good baseball players who are bad at winning baseball games. And that usually is not a thing. Usually good baseball players are good at winning. These baseball players do not appear to be good at winning. And the other thing that is so frustrating to me about the Padres is they have gotten production from places where they were not expecting it. Mm -hmm. Michael Waka has been phenomenal. 
Blake Snell could win the NL Cy Young. Mm-hmm. Ha Sung Kim is leading the galaxy in Fangraphs war, mm-hmm. right? And yet still, here they are bumbling their way through August. I do want to talk about the Brewers for a quick second, if that's yeah. okay. Yeah, well, I just want to just a little quick wrap on the Padres. Like, it's so interesting. We've had teams in the past, you know, Mariners teams where teams outperform the run differential and they say they're fake, they're fake, they're fake. Not often do you have a team this poor, like the Padres still plus 53, right? But, you know, the term that we often ascribe to teams that are somehow getting it done greater than the sum of its parts, I've never seen a team more the opposite of that phrase than the San Diego Padres. They, they are so much less somehow than the sum of its parts. I don't understand it, but that is the case. The Brewers, on the other hand, with a hefty W8, Whew. nothing like a summer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. Mm. They've gotten their run differential up to a hefty plus 19, but a W8 is a W8. And the way that they are starting to win games, again, we're having some moments from the rookies again. Brandon Woodruff is back, which is really nice. They've addition. had six walk off yeah. hits from rookies this year. <laughs> That's, oh, wait, I, but I assume some of them have more than one, right? Yeah. It's not six yeah, different it's rookies. It's not six yeah. different. Yeah. I believe Joey Weimer has a couple, but yep. there was a Bryce Terang one. Yep. Sal Fraley. Like they, they are just getting production from areas where you wouldn't necessarily expect mm-hmm. it. But over the last couple of weeks, the big one has been Tyrone Taylor. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't yes. even realize that because he he I really liked the the year he had last year. And I believe he was uh injured um for a good chunk of this season. We thought that Garrett Mitchell was gonna take his job and then Garrett Mitchell got hurt. But I, I've kind of liked Taylor. He's looked really solid yeah. the last two seasons, and the numbers on the whole this year aren't very good, but he's he's a fun player. The W8 is him, Willie Adamas, and uh, William Contreras, that trio. Yeah, and William Contreras, who I think we've talked a little bit about in the show, but he has been exactly what they could have hoped for and more. Had a 450-foot home run over the weekend, OPS plus up to 121. We know the defense has been marvelous. That seemed like a swindle at the time, you know, for Estuary Ruiz. Respect to Estuary Ruiz. He just got the 50 stolen bases. But to get a franchise catcher, you don't just get fran- – you know how <laughs> desperate teams are to, are to get franchise catchers. Teams go literal decades without franchise catchers. And the Brewers were just like, hey, can we have that one you're not using? Oh, yep. Yeah, okay. Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> now we have Willie Gutierrez for, what, the next four years, five years. I mean, he is – he's their – probably their second or third best player. He is amazing. Teams will literally sign Tucker Barnhart instead of going to therapy. <laughs> and so that is just a, a ridiculous uh, revelation. It's still kind of a strange bullpen unit. I know I know our man Boring Hobie Milner had some some big pitches over the weekend. It's still a little bit thin, but this is a good a good team. And, and you know, they, they, they are starting to certainly get some separation in the NL Central at the very least. The one other thing that we need to know before we move on, Brandon Woodruff is off the I.L., He was on the shelf for most of the season, Mm -hmm. missed, I think, four months of time. He has returned, and he looks like Brandon Woodruff again, which gives them a real one-two punch with Burns and Woodruff. He was my my Cy Young pick uh, coming into the year. Just, again, you know, it's hard to, we would say, well, if it wasn't with Corbin Burns, a lot of people would know about it more, and I do think that that is true. But right now, I mean, for him to look this good, Coming back. And, and by the way, credit to Freddie Peralta, who's also looked a lot better 
uh, this season. I, I, he's been a big part of that rotation still too with, uh, you know, like 11.5 K per nine. So I, I'm coming around this Brewers team. I, I was super underwhelmed by them during the middle of the season, but they have enough offensive pieces starting to get going. And now with Woodruff back and it's, it's starting to look like the Brewers teams that I was more impressed with in, in recent years. From the sweeps to the three, one series wins, the opportunities that did not result in four game mops. Let's start with the Cubs over the pirates at PNC park. The Cubs have moved from can they get it going to wow, they're crazy hot, we're not selling to probably just the second wild card team. Now, there's a long way to go, mm-hmm. but the North Side boys look really solid. Yeah. They look firm, they look adult, yes. right? They are really rounding into form. Most impressive moment from them over the weekend was the pitching debut of Jordan Wicks. Who was the Cubs' first round pick back in 2021 out of Kansas State? Very fun to watch. Yeah. Kind of a shorter, stout left hander with big Rex Beck glasses mm-hmm. and a 65, 70 changeup. Yep. I mean, it's an amazing changeup. Yeah, but he's not, I think, as underwhelmed by why as we were at the pitch at the time. I think this is another good example of how far the Cubs have come in terms of pitching development because yeah. this stuff has also ticked up a little bit. You know, he's not throwing 98, but he's he's got some some juice behind the fastball as well. And it's a really deep arsenal, throws like five or six pitches, clearly knows what he's doing. Pirates lineup, you know, maybe not the best one to cut, but but still, still one of the better pitching debuts we've seen this year. And for a Cubs rotation which that is a huge question mark, massive question mark right now. A lot of the other things have kind of rounded into form. The offense, the bullpen even, has actually been way better than I think it's gotten credit for. But with the Stroman injury, with Smiley has looked terrible, Tyon obviously inconsistent, they they are going to need this guy. So I'm curious to see where he kind of ends up sliding and if they are going to be in the postseason. And he went, so first ever big league start, outing, right? Debut. Homer to Cabrian Hayes, single to Brian Reynolds, walk okay and then it's like oh man this is so embarrassing oh, no. baseball's hard oh baseball's God. hard they pan yeah. to the family in the stands and they're biting the nails and mm-hmm. out comes tommy hadavi the <laughs> pitching coach to you know whisper some wisdoms and then he's just dominant strikes yeah. out nine over mm-hmm. five looks great super fun pitcher to watch yes wish him nothing but the best on the broadcast because this was a fox game mm-hmm. tom verducci said something along the lines of the most anticipated Cubs pitching debut since Mark Pryor, which is like, I thought about it and I think he's right because the Cubs have been so bad at pitching development. Yeah. I right. And like for someone to be picked in the first round and then kind of be a big prospect and get better in the minors. Yeah. And like, again, another guy who I I should have mentioned before, but like Justin Steele, who has been, marvelous right he was not that hype like we blinked and now it was like oh shit he's one of the best pitchers in the nl it was the hype of justin Steele when he debuted was not anywhere close to that you know they've had versions of that in recent years but that's a great point yeah we just have not seen i'm trying to think of other cubs first round pitchers i mean they've had some just disastrous misses for sure i mean on the pitching side whether it's i know pierce johnson became a reliever of course you go back hayden simpson like they've had some brandon little and and alex lang like the these are guys who have not ryan jensen who's their first round pick in 2019 they dfa'd net like recently like they've missed a lot um but i will say that jordan wicks his title there will be uh usurped 
very soon because Cade Horton is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. I don't think he's debuting this year, but next year he will be a very big deal. Other 3-1 series, the D-backs over the Reds at home in Arizona in what was more or less a battle for the third wild card. No disrespect to the uh, Giants or the Marlins. Um, tons of disrespect to the Padres. But D-backs Reds felt like a really big showdown. Yeah. And it was not really good baseball. No. It was an indication that maybe two wild card teams is the right amount <laughs> from a quality perspective. Yeah. And three is the right amount from an entertainment perspective. Mm -hmm. The Diamondbacks took games one and two, lost game three, and then won game four. All of these games were pretty close. Yeah. And the Reds bullpen looks like they need a little help. If only there had been a trade deadline a month ago where this organization could have reinforced things a little bit. So it's interesting. I'm going to kind of extend this conversation to the Marlins here as I think about, and I guess the Cubs, as I think about the these teams. I know they all have the same record about a week ago. They've had some separation. I think that the way that they acted at the deadline indicated not necessarily exactly how the rest of the season is going to go, although we've had some hints at that, but also how the teams viewed themselves, right? The Reds were clearly content saying, this year has been a smashing success no matter what, and we do not need to mortgage any more of the future. We are clearly ascending, and next year we could really break through, right? Arizona compared and Miami were teams that saw this season as, oh my God, we have to take advantage of this opportunity that the Padres and Mets are complete disasters. So we have to go do something about it. We saw the Marlins make some fascinating moves adding offense. We see the Diamondbacks trading for Paul Seawald. That has had mixed results so far, but he has saved some games. Jace Peterson, whatever, right? Tommy Pham. And so that tells me of where the teams believe they should be, which is that the Marlins and D-backs think we need to get this wildcard spot. The Reds are just like, if we get it, great. It's not, not that they're not trying to. The players, are, of course, do giving their best. But from the front office perspective, this is the year before the year. And so when you see a, a series like this, you mentioned the Reds' bullpen. Really, the issue more recently has actually been the offense. Joey Votto went back in the IL. Ellie had a quiet weekend offensively. McLean, McLean's still hitting, but like a lot of the rest of the lineup is that they're, they're having trouble scoring. And that is kind of what you would expect from a young lineup is that at some point they're going to be like, oh shit, big league pitching is really good. <laughs> and they can't all be hitting at the same time. Strand, of course, has cooled off. Steer has cooled off. And so that's really what I think we've been seeing more with the Reds. And the pitching staff was already thin. You know, they, they've started to get some 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 guys back, but Hunter Green has not looked good since he got back. Lodolo suffered a setback, so he's not coming back again. So it, th that is an issue and maybe a bigger picture thing, but the Reds are just kind of running on fumes at this point. I still think they're going to be in it. I don't think they're totally going to fall out of it. I think they're good enough to be in the mix all the way to the end. But we started to see sort of the cracks there. And like the one game they won was because Nabil Krismat balked in a run. So like it was it was a weird it was a very weird weekend uh, in the desert. The one thing with the Diamondbacks that's probably worth mentioning, Tommy Pham yeah. has been electric for them. Oh, yeah. A huge yeah. boost for their offense. He's been dynamic on the bases. And he's been the type of presence that Clubhouse has needed. His, I would just love to know more about the, like, the, the opinions in baseball on Tommy Pham are so disparate. Yeah. I heard about a team that was interested in dealing for Pham during the deadline. Not the Giants, to be clear. Because um, he slapped Chuck Peterson. I heard about a team that was interested in dealing for Tommy Pham at the deadline. And a couple of players in the Clubhouse were like, no, thank you. We really do not want him here. 
we do not yeah. like this guy. And meanwhile, he's gone to Arizona and it's been like one well, again. Like awesome. credit, credit to Arizona for for you know going for it there because there were so few bats available. We saw the Cubs get Candelario. That's been working out pretty well. Like you know, we talk about with the Braves in 2021. Oh, you don't have to get the flashiest guys to like make a difference. But in this year, when there were so few hitters available, even getting any of them, I think can make a huge difference. So yeah. I agree, and, and and I agree. It is fascinating. Like I talking to people in Cincinnati, like. People love Tommy Pham. I know that's it's like right. people like player media, like he was good, but it's it's a very I, I totally agree. He is obviously he, a, a a someone who <laughs> you got an acquired taste at the very least. Well, no, I what I think it is is he is a hard charger. Mm-hmm. And depending on the vibe of your team and how good you are and where you are in the standings, necessitates whether or not that person is going to be accepted by the rest of the team. You know what I mean? I don't think it's necessarily a problem with Tommy Pham yeah. as much as it is a quote-unquote problem with the rest of baseball. I think that's sense. fair. Yeah. Last four-game yeah. set, Jordan, and then we'll take a quick break. A's White Sox. Um, mm. Don't really have anything oh, to no, say you, about you this. You Twins Rangers, dude. Twins Rangers was, was wild. Oh, Twins, I did skip Twins yeah, Rangers. My apologies. Twin, we can't be skipping uh, Twins, Twins Rangers here. Uh, Twins Rangers. This, this was this one was um, oh boy. I mean, talk about like both teams trying to lose. Uh, so the Twins take three or four at home against Texas. Which, if you just zoom ahead to Monday morning, you're Minnesota. You're feeling you're feeling great, right? I mean, that's you couldn't ask for much more. Like what a what a big weekend. You know, we get some more more separation in the AL Central race. The Twins are now up six games over Cleveland. Not that we were too worried about Cleveland chasing them down. But for Texas, who did snap their their losing streak on Friday, but continued or Saturday, but continued to lose just an absolute miserable match of baseball action on Sunday. Uh, this was just this is not what the Rangers need right now. We know they have uh let go of, of first place after having an all-season long. But it is not. It's not just that. It's it's that we are now watching the worst version of the Rangers, where the offense has cooled down from being one of the best offenses in baseball, and the bullpen is imploding at every possible turn. Did you see the Aroldis Chapman kerfuffle yesterday? Incredible uh, stuff. I, I one run I game. Tuned in after that, but I know it involved him not holding runners, which has been an issue. <laughs> well, okay. So one run game in the ninth. Runner on first. And Chapman throws over three times <laughs> and they just give Michael A. Taylor second base. And they panned him like it was not even like a close pickoff play. He just throws over and Michael A. Taylor safe by like, you know, not even a slide. And he just turns around and just holds up a three. It's like that's and three, everyone's right? like, yeah, it's three, right? <laughs> Everyone just starts nodding. He just walks to second base. Next hitter, single tie game. Twins oh. end up winning it in 13. Neither of these teams are inspiring a whole lot of confidence right now. Everyone ebbs and flows. We understand that. I The one thing from this weekend that was super encouraging, Royce Lewis, who yes. was the number one overall pick by the Minnesota Twins back in 2018. Wow, I feel old. Blew out his ACL two times. Isn't playing shortstop now because Correa's there. Kind of moving around defensively, the outfields, third base. He is raking. Yeah. And I love a player under 25 with his type of goatee facial hair. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of unsettling, but also like, damn. Uh, and also related to that, uh, 2017. So you should actually feel even older. 
Bryce um, Lewis. Wow. Uh, yes, the, the the one one, and we know he's dealt with so many injuries, but for him to have you know a grand slam and just just be back and and a part of this team, he's he's come back so many times. He's now has three yep. homers in his last five games, and we've been looking for anything on the Twins' offensive side to be excited about. I know we've leaned into, you know, Edward Julien. He's <laughs> cooled off. You can talk about him later now that you're in Montreal. Um, but, you know, and Walner has certainly had his moments for sure. You know, Larnick was good early and then bad and then sent down whatever. But Royce Lewis is the one where it's like everybody knows Royce Lewis. Like if he can really get going, now we're really in good shape. So I, I agree with you. That is definitely uh, exciting, exciting to see. Just a quick edit. He's only been playing third base. I was wrong about that. He's just been like the everyday third baseman for them, which is awesome. And when you hear from people around the game, like before this year, the narrative was, we still think Royce Lewis is just going to be Royce Lewis, right? He met, he blew his leg out twice, but people with the Twins were very confident that he was just going to be the guy. Yeah. Elite makeup. Everyone loves him. And if he can rake, he can rake. Uh, so, let's move on yeah. to A's White Sox, which uh, didn't really watch any of the series. Th- there was an outrageously bizarre event yeah. uh, that occurred at this game. Yeah, this was uh, certainly disturbing to say the least, but basically people were shot somehow during the game on Saturday, I believe. Um, and this happened in the left field bleachers. And basically there was no, the game didn't stop or anything, but there was... There was a shooting. There were people that uh, were two women were wounded in a shooting during the game, and one of the this is just one of the strangest situations I've I've ever seen. I mean, this this clearly escapes beyond the the kind of boundaries of what we can understand about gun violence and how it happens, because there are still so many questions about what happened here. But if you're listening to this and you hear about this for the first time, you're saying, "Well, how did the game continue?" Nobody heard anything. Nobody saw anything. It just sort there was of no altercation. Yeah, there was no like fight or anything. So it's just happened. I mean, stray bullets are a thing, and if that is somehow what happened here, that is very concerning and upsetting and freaky, and it's just very weird. And of course, everybody were upset with the White Sox for continuing on with the game, which like I understand that, but then I also. It's it's a very weird situation. We we certainly wanted to acknowledge it. Thankfully, nobody was seriously injured, or at least not you know fatally or anything. But I don't know what to make it. Of is, it. There's uh, clearly we're clearly going to get more details on what happened here, and yeah. they haven't come out yet. So we just had to acknowledge this is one of the strangest things that's ever happened in a baseball game. It is not a baseball problem. It just no. happened to happen at a baseball game. Okay, yes. let's take a quick break, and when we when we return, we will zoom through these series that were just boring old two to ones. We'll talk about Felix Bautista, Livy Dunn, and the city of Montreal. This is former PGA Tour winner Smiley Kaufman, host of The Smiley Show, a SiriusXM podcast. You want to know what I love about golf? I get to talk to some really cool people. I get to walk the fairways of the best courses in the world with the best players in the world, and I get to share it with you every single week. Listen to The Smiley Show right now on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Smiley, S-M-Y-L-I-E. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mitz. That's Jordan Schusterman. The weekend roundup where two strangers you've never met babble on about some baseball. Have We've met some, some people. people have met us. Right. Some people. But either yeah. you could watch every single highlight <laughs> from every single game over the weekend or you could listen to this. Jordan, two to one, a series 
where one game wins two and on one game, one team wins one. Mm-hmm. And we had a bunch of them. We always do. Angels strolling into City Field for the final meaningful baseball games of the year in Queens because after Otani shows up, no one will go. No one. But people went to see Otani and Otani delivered UCL issues and all. I I, I want to say, as someone who tore their UCL, as a father of daughters, you know, I can say that you can do other stuff. Like you can hit with a torn UCL. It is hard to hit with a recovering, surgically repaired UCL. Ah. That hurts. However, I lived my life. I didn't like play major league baseball, but I lived my life for two and a half years with a torn ligament in my elbow. Yeah, you know, that's true. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper lived his life last year with a torn ligament in his elbow. And it appears that Shohei Otani is continuing to, quote, live his life by homering. He did not homer. But what he did do is the first plate appearance. (laughs) Everyone's like, oh, my God, here he is facing Kodai Senga, which, by the way, what a season for Kodai Senga. Just talk about wasted, incredible, like things the Mets absolutely crushed was getting Kodai Senga and him being a beast. I believe he has the lowest slugging percentage allowed uh, of any qualified starter. So he's he's awesome. I love Kodai Senga. But Kodai Senga facing his fellow uh, Japanese icon, Shohei Otani, with a UCL. First at bat, bam, 150 mile an hour double off the wall. It's just like, and then his second game, he has two hits, he has two steals, he's got two walks, he's doing everything over for on Sunday, but he was probably a little bit tired. So as you said, yes, you can hit, but you also can only hit like Shohei Otani if you are Shohei Otani. As for the other updates and the and the stuff off the field regarding, oh, he declined imaging. Oh, he should have gotten imaging. Oh, this is the Angels' fault. This is Otani's fault. Honestly, not interested in that story anymore because all I care about is that he is still going to be getting in the box every day and hitting absolute rockets. That is what I am thankful for. Of course, we will continue to monitor this back and forth, this who said, you know, what. But at this point, I'm just glad he's still playing and we will sort out the mess as it uh, sorts itself out over the coming weeks. Mm. Also, the Mets... Good, good on you finally losing again because you, I just talked. You need to lose games. Come on, Mets. They were like winning series since I last talked about how they desperately need a tank. This was a nice little series loss for them. <laughs> uh, the Astros over the Tigers. Parker Meadows, rookie. Epic walk-off homer in game one after Framber Valdez had carved through the early half of that game. And then we had the Verlander Miguel Cabrera goodbye. An underrated narrative this season, we haven't really talked about a whole lot. Miguel Cabrera, one of the greatest hitters of a generation, is saying au revoir. He is hanging him up in a month's time. Now, he has been a shell, a husk of his former self. He has been a really abysmal baseball player for a few years now. But we had Justin Verlander facing Miggy for the final time after the two shared so many lovely memories together. There was a little sweet hat tip. In my mind, Time of Your Life by Green Day was playing. As these two said goodbye to one another. <laughs> another, another rollover to shortstop in the road. Justin Verlander is still throwing 99. Uh, Justin Verlander, by the way, boy, is he older. Good. Holy crap. Older. Older than Miggy. Older than Miggy. Does not, <laughs> not playing older than Miggy. But Verlander, hey. Verlander's saying goodbye to Miggy like, 
Bye. <laughs> like I'm bye. still here, motherfucker. Still here. Um, he there was a great stat that he became Verlander became like only the sixth pitcher in the modern era to get a hundred wins in one ballpark, which he now got to do on the road with the Astros against the Tigers in Comerica. But hey, as washed as Miggy has been, he hit a home run yesterday, Jake. Which is like, okay, who cares? It was only his third of the season in 77 games. Kyle okay. Higashioka did that in one game. He sure did. Um, so did Jordan Diaz. Jordan Diaz had more homers, or the same amount of homers in one game. But Jake Mintz, do you know where that puts him on the all-time list? He just passed someone with that home run. And do you know where he is uh, on the list now? I assume he passed home run Baker. Who is no. a home run hitter? Home run bakers uh, a little bit farther down. But, so um, Miggy, okay, so he hit home run number five hundred at the end of twenty twenty one, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's been bad, and so he's probably at like two or five seventeen. Not even five ten. Five ten. So wait, he's hit. 10 home runs <laughs> since the end of 2021. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay, so he passed who? Like uh, uh, Puddinghead Jones or yep. something? Nope. Gary Sheffield. Uh, passed Gary Sheffield. He is now sole possession of 26th on the all time list, one behind Mel Ott and then Ernie Banks and Ernie, uh, Eddie Matthews at 512. He's clearly not getting to 521, Frank Thomas, Willie McCovey, Ted Williams. But he could, if he really gets going here, if he hits three more, he really could be in gets sole going. Of if he doubles his home run output in the final month, <laughs> if he if he doubles it in September, maybe he finds some uh, you know gets gets some up in the jet stream, find him in the right ballpark. That would be that would be cool to see. Um, but uh, man, Miggy, what a freaking legend! Okay, we will certainly give him more love as the season comes to a close. All right, next series we wanted to hit on. Guardians over Blue Jays. Blue Jays, oof, they are benefiting from the Rangers being a complete catastrophe in terms of American League teams that are disappointing us all. We're not mad, we're just disappointed. We got Davis Schneider just being an absolute icon of offensive production, and they're still finding ways to lose. And the thing I am most concerned with uh, now is that they have the Nationals coming to town, Jake. And the Nationals have been such a pain in the ass for these quote-unquote good teams this year. And the Nationals have just been one of the best teams in baseball for the last, you know, month and a half. So, like, normally it's like, oh, we got a breather. No. They're going to lose to the Nationals this week, and it's going to feel so much worse. They're going to look at their record and be like, how is this happening? That's the last team I would want to see. Now, Vlad finally uh, hit a couple homers, which was nice. Bichette left injured again. Um, Matt Chapman left injured. Matt Chapman left injured. They are a version of the Padres. They are Don't say ob- that. Don't say that. Obviously, they have a way better chance. I still believe in this team. They could totally be in the postseason. But they are a version of it in the sense of I'm looking at these players and I'm looking at the production, although the production is less so than it should be. And I'm just like, how are you not better? Your pitching is so good. You have like the lowest team ERA in the league and like you're losing to Cleveland, who's actively not really trying to win. So anyway, super disappointing for Toronto. Noah Syndergaard was DFA'd after a tough start over the weekend. Um, is this the end of the road for Noah Syndergaard? I hope not, because we talked about it earlier. I took him in the bummer draft. I don't know, man. I mean, I don't really know what happens next. I would be surprised if anybody picks him up this year, but I hope he is not done. Just remember what he was. 
Electric. He was electric yep. at his peak for the Mets, and he's getting DFA'd by the Guardians. Yeah. Tough to watch. Tough to Next watch. series, the Braves over the Giants. The Braves over everybody. The Braves <laughs> over all. Winning on Friday and Saturday before losing the Sunday night game because they don't want too many people on national TV to know how good the Braves are, so they're just chilling. They're now up to seven guys with 20 home runs. Seven guys on the Braves have 20 home runs. Orlando Arcia needs five more over the final month to reach 20. Michael Harris needs nine more, or eight more. Travis Darno needs 11 more. Max Fried needs 20 more. <laughs> I, mean, we'll see. I mean, those guys, it's not as important. Nicky Lopez only needs 19 more. But, like, mm. honestly, it's more – forget the t- how many 20 – like, they're going for the, for the Twins, right? I mean, they could – whether the the guys with one and two hit them or not, like, they're going for the all-time homer record. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. If they, that is definitely – because we're not going to be following anything else with the Braves. I mean, they're, they're just going to be in, you know, self-preservation mode in September just trying to not get hurt. But other than that, like, they're, that's what we will be watching for them down the stretch. Can they break the home run record? Uh, the Giants kind of hanging on here by a thread – the season slowly slipping away from them. I spent a lot of time around them last week. They're just an odd bunch. It's a very, like they do all this bizarre mixing and matching and Gabe Kapler gets the most out of his players at the margins. And it's all this intricate, delicate operation. And I would just say, go get some good baseball players and that yeah. will solve your problem. I know yeah. you tried over the offseason, but like the Giants, the Giants are so impressive that they are 67 and 63 with so little on their yeah. team. But also they're very frustrating because it's like they should be it, you. Your floor is so high. Why can't you push past it? However, shouts out to friend of the show and bench coach Kai Correa for having another child. Shouts out to Kai. Oh, I didn't see Love that. Kai. Mazel, mazel. Very cool. Uh, Duvall, nice to see Duvall kind of bounce back last night after two just cataclysmic outings in back-to-back nights. Classic Gabe Kapler running him back out there. Uh, took four days off and uh, closed out the Sunday night game last night. But I agree with you. That is where I'm at on the Giants. Uh, four more series to go. The Nats over the Marlins. They win the first two games and lose a close one on Sunday. Just, again, Nationals, total pain in the ass for these teams. The most disappointing part about the Marlins right now is that Yuri Perez is just, oh, my God, he is amazing. And I know that they uh, managed to lose the start that he made again. They've lost. They've now wasted two marvelous uh, six-inning outings from their sensational rookie against the Dodgers and the Nationals in losses. I know they win on Sunday, but I mean, I don't know, man. Like I, this this <laughs> Marlins offense. I guess we kind of knew it was going to run hot and cold with the kind of profiles of hitters that they have. But you know, credit to the Nationals. Keep winning close games. But uh, yeah, I I still don't know what to make the Marlins. I I think I think I still believe in them. Like this pitching, they're pitching. I believe in so much more than Arizona and Cincinnati. But I still don't know if that's going to be quite enough with kind of the hot and cold version of the offense that they have. An embarrassing weekend for the New York Yankees. Oh, yeah. who went down to Tampa. They lost the series. Didn't get swept. Congrats to the Yankees. That's great. However, there was a little bench clearing, uh, posturing situation on the Sunday game. Mm-hmm. The Yankees have hit the Rays 12 times this season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I believe is the most of any team hitting another team in baseball. Mm-hmm. I did a quick skim. Could be wrong. That's still a lot right. of times. It's a lot of times. 
Yeah. And so the Rays are understandably peeved by this. Whether it is intentional or not is not really important. My favorite part of this is how the Yankees <laughs> then get peeved that the Rays get peeved. That is like where like these two teams have really not liked each other for a while. And the reason it lingers is because the coaching staffs don't like each other. So even though that there's been a lot of turnover on the Rays and on the Yankees over the last couple of years, the parents still beef. And so that's what keeps the rivalry alive. Because if, you know, Kevin Cash and Aaron Boone were BFFLs like Boone and Cora, they would just go get a drink and squash it. But they don't. And so every time these teams play, it's all on a razor's edge. My so many funny moments here where the Yankees just come out looking horrible They're So Randy gets plunked by Albert Abreu and they exchange words and the bench is clear. Did you see the clip of Tommy Canely running out of the dugout and falling on his face? I did. Yeah, it was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Randy goes to first base uh, and immediately steals second. And then immediately steals third, <laughs> like right away. As he should. That is, I mean, that is the best version of dealing with getting plunked, which is now, of course, enabled further by the new rules, which is great, though. Like, because that stealing after getting hit is is just one of the best things that we have. Um, Brandon Lau, we should talk about what Brandon Lau said after the game, because this is absolutely what he should be saying after the game, which is basically, you know, being asked like, hey, you know, it's getting getting kind of chippy and Brandon Lau says uh paraphrasing here looking at it it's a last place team against a team that's in contention they're just trying to ignite something over there not worth our time at this moment we're focused on bigger things right now he goes on meanwhile, to basically be like yeah meanwhile Yankees reliever Ian Hamilton's like I wish they would come over here we could square <laughs> off the Rays I mean, are like why right and it's like we see versions of this in the second halves of every season where bad teams and good teams beef for no reason and the good teams like we're just trying to not get suspended and not get hurt and the bad team's trying to start shit but i love this because as we've referred to so many teams in the actual playoff race having to take advantage of the teams we thought to be good being bad this is a great example of brandon lau realizing i'm not going to get to call the yankees a last place team every year and so now you're going to put it up Mm. on a tee for me i'm going to smash that 600 feet and say it with my chest it's a last place team (laughs) and he's absolutely correct as much as brandon lau can say something with his chest he did over the weekend carlos rodon 10 swings and misses on the fastball looked pretty he looked looked better better. totally better disastrous first inning there was a horribly embarrassing error and then he allowed and then he allowed and then he allowed a homer on the next pitch but he looked way better was throwing harder throwing more conviction Carlos was pissed as he should be. Um, so yeah, like, like I said, I mean, how it matters in the standings doesn't matter. We just want him to be healthy and looking good. So Yankees just big fat losers. They head to Detroit for a four a game big set. fat loser bowl. Yeah, the only the only opportunity of this week. So we'll keep an eye on that one as the Yankee season continues to go south. Although <laughs> I love that they were just like, fuck it, Everson Pereira cleanup. <laughs> I was well, like, sure. Like that that is how they should be treating this part of the season. Yankees fans right now feel like they want to rage quit the rest of the season. <laughs> they're so, trying oh, to really sim. Gotta... They're trying to sim. They're trying oh. to sim to, to spring training twenty twenty four. You're just getting sorry. worked in FIFA. Gotta uh, keep two more series. Dodgers over the Red Sox. Mookie comes back to Boston. He gets a big cheer. He balls out. Surprise, surprise. 
Freddie Freeman up to 50 doubles. You want to talk about this? 50 doubles is a crazy amount of doubles. He's on pace for 60 doubles, which are you are you familiar with how? Uh, first of all, he already set a franchise record for the Dodgers. They've had a lot of baseball players. So 50 doubles is a franchise record. But um, 60 doubles is not something that we that we have seen. The closest we've seen to 60 doubles, like since we've been, you know, talking about baseball together. Do you know the answer? Nick Markakis. Nick, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> let me see what the most Nick Markakis got to. It's Nick Castellanos, one of your favorites. Nick Markakis, his his uh, season high was 48. So, okay, that's not a horrible guess. Um, but Nick Castellanos had 58 in 2019. Uh, Jose Ramirez, 56 and 17. Matt Carpenter, 55, 2013. Devers, 54 and 2019. Um, but 60 has only happened six times and not since 1936, Jake Mintz. The record is Earl Webb with 67 in 1931. That's going to be tough to get to. But yeah, Joe Medwick, Hank Greenberg, George Burns, Paul Wehner, and Charlie Geringer. Geringer? Geringer. I'm always bad with that one. And that was anyway. back when no one knew how to hit a home run. So congrats to Freddie Freeman. <laughs> That's true. But 60 doubles, if he gets there, is completely nuts. And Freddie Freeman is amazing. Him and Mookie are going to be uh, battling for MVP, man. This is a real thing that's going to happen now. Just imagine how good Freddie's going to be when some of those doubles turn into home runs, man. <laughs> Once he starts getting in the weight room. Yeah. Um, one final series. We saved the worst for last because gave us the worst news of the weekend. Orioles taking two or three over the Rockies. They lose a close one on Sunday in Hunter Goodman's major league debut. I like Hunter Goodman. But Felix Bautista is injured. Jake, Felix Bautista is injured. Take it away. I will not say any more. So uh, say what you need to say here. Well, you are saying more, so let me freaking talk, Dad. (laughs) So here's the deal with Felix Bautista, right? So he is the Orioles' closer, but he's not just that. There is no pitcher in the league who is more fundamental to a team's plan and strategy than Felix Bautista. Someone on Twitter put this extremely well. I believe it was the Baltimore on Twitter account. Do not underestimate how the Orioles have nine innings to score runs and the other team has eight. (laughs) That is pretty much how simple it is. Bautista has been that dominant. He will receive Cy Young and MVP votes this year, no doubt. He shortens the game. The Orioles will use him in multiple innings a lot. He is as dominant as a closer is in the modern era. I mean, it is, he is in the midst of one of the greatest closer seasons of the 21st century. I don't, last time I checked, it was like a top two or three strikeout rate ever. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, 110 strikeouts in 61 innings, (laughs) 30 hits allowed. Those are the numbers, like that screams, holy shit, more than the 1480 RA. I've gotten used to seeing ERAs under two for great relievers. That's fine. But it's it's the actual dominance yeah. that is so shocking. And now a couple different things here. His injury, the Orioles listed as some degree of an injury with his UCL. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some degree is amazing. Yeah. Some degree is like, uh, yeah, it, there could be a boo-boo or it could, his UCL could have evaporated into yeah. thin air. And it could be filled with cockroaches. We don't know. Some degree of injury. The reason the Orioles are saying that is because they want to have Felix Bautista this October, right? Because he's so important. Teams do this all the time. 
they there's a UCL injury and they rest and they do and it never ends up fixing itself and they end up getting Tommy John. That's fine. Is it worth waiting it out at this point, Jordan? Probably. It very rarely is. Mm-hmm. But if you can have Felix Bautista in any capacity for the postseason round, it makes a lot of sense. The Orioles are not going to suddenly turn into a pumpkin. They're not going to be a bad team because the guy who throws the ninth inning is hurt. However, it is a big blow for the team heading into the postseason. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we could do all kinds of reckless speculation about it. There, there are degree, different degrees to the injury, and you know, it's different. Sometimes, like with Otani. When he's pitching, clearly something's wrong. Every pitch is down three, four, five miles an hour. Felix Bautista's last pitch was 102, right? And so it's sometimes it's obvious, and then other times, like it just goes. Other times, like there's a lot of versions of this. We don't know. I totally understand them kind of playing it's quiet here. Um, it's it, they, the fact that they have said it as a UCL injury is is troubling enough and scary enough. We hope that he will be back, and that that would certainly uh, skyrocket up the injury bummer draft if he is indeed done for the season. But um, that is tough. We will see if – I mean, of course, the obvious thing to assume is that is that Cano kind of slides back. Maybe Fujinami is going to you know get even more higher leverage stuff, which is terrifying. But also, when he looks right, he does look like one of the best closers in the world. So there's there's options here for Baltimore, but – this would uh, this would really suck if he is indeed done. So we will keep an eye on that situation. Uh, all right, Jake. A couple more topics before we get out of here. Um, let's quickly hit on. Uh, we got to do our you know our weekly. Where was Livy Dunn uh, in the world of minor league baseball? She was in Altoona. Oh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. Altoona, Pennsylvania, where Paul Skeens' number one overall pick was making his debut. Paul Skeens didn't make it out of the first inning. Oh my God. Oh, can you believe it? The Akron Rubber Ducks said, "Who are you? What was that?" What's going on? They didn't care. Aaron Bracho was not intimidated. And uh, that was it. Paul Skeens didn't make it out of the first. He threw like 30 pitches and he, he looked fine. It was fine. He was throwing 99. Slider looked good. But guess what? When it's minor league baseball and when everyone is watching every single, you know, br- you know, moment of breath that you have in the seconds after you get drafted, uh, people are going to freak out. And when Livy Dunn's there in attendance and everyone's like, oh, my God, Livy Dunn came to Altoona to watch Paul Skeens not get out of the first inning. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's a schlep, man. So yeah. I think the best way to get from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to mm-hmm. Altoona, Pennsylvania, I think you got to fly through Atlanta and then Pittsburgh. into Pittsburgh. There's certainly yeah. no Baton Rouge to Pittsburgh. To Pittsburgh. Or, or Baton Rouge to, to Altoona. I assume not. Certainly no. not. No. There's an in <laughs> so. there. No. There's no Altoona airport uh, yeah. of, of large note or repute. So I would yeah. imagine, you know, to Atlanta, into Pittsburgh, and then a drive. Or I don't think I. The internet is telling me you can take. The Amtrak uh, does go from Pittsburgh to Altoona two, and a, two hours 30. There's probably yeah. a Greyhound. I'll take the under on Livy Dunn taking the Greyhound. Yeah. Um, there is something just continually hilarious about one of the most famous people in college athletics in, in the world of social media rolling up to <laughs> see the Altoona curve play baseball. Two things to watch for Paul Skeens uh, and I guess Livy Dunn by extension in the coming weeks. They uh, play at, at Erie next weekend. I said, uh, just happy for. I'm just happy for them. I am happy for them. Uh, at Erie next weekend, but then home for Harrisburg and his teammate Dylan Cruz. So that would be really cool. Jake's like, oh, should we go to that? Uh, stay tuned. Meet me there. Come on. <laughs> Maybe. Me there. But that is uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. So we will keep it. We're not going to update every single. Paul Skeen start until he's in the big leagues, but maybe we will. Who knows? All right, a uh, couple other topics. One other quick one. 
you know when Little League World Series started, we talked about how much we loved it. We talked about the Little League Classic. And when the Little League World Series ends with a walk-off home run, courtesy of six-foot-one Lewis Lappy of the El Segundo team, the California team, to beat Team Curacao, Pabao Little League, losing in the championship game for the second consecutive year after an epic comeback in which they hit a grand slam to tie the game. Uh, I mean, yeah, winning a walk-off grand slam, walk-off home run to win the Little League World Series is freaking cool. So we're going to talk about it. Shouts out to Dalton Carricker. Yep. Um, a name that I will never forget who hit the walk-off for Warner Robins when we were children. Yep. Dude was a hero. Uh, shouts out to Curacao, that little league. Like They're oh, yeah. just the Bills now, <laughs> which is a bummer for them. Uh, and yeah. then I will say this about the walk-off home run. It's sick. It's cool. I am generally positive about the Little League World Series. Watching this 6-1 child yes. run around the bases, mm-hmm. these tiny little bases. Yes. The it looks 40, very silly. Looks it, very the 60, silly. Yeah, it looks very silly. It looks very it, silly. It's I like will say. seven steps. It's like Giannis running the court. <laughs> they had... California had the two biggest kids. They had the two biggest kids in the tournament. Although their their shortstop, this kid Brody Brooks, who was only like five seven, that was the one I was like, this kid is gonna be a beast. But Jordan, Lu- five Lappy, seven yes. when you're twelve is really tall. Bro. I know, I know, I know, I know. It just didn't look goofy. And like his actions, I was like, I'm betting on this kid, Lewis Lappy. Congrats, this is your moment. I hope you go on to have a great baseball career. But at the very least, you always have a walk off for month to win the Little League World. Series. Last topic, Jordan. I am at? in Montreal right now. Where are you I at? Uh, for this weekend, I went up to Montreal with my beautiful fiance to uh, see a new city for the first time. A little weekend getaway. First thing I'll say, man, great spot, great city. We highly like recommend. We're in ten out of ten. A bummer that this is not a baseball town anymore. Because no. if this was a road city, you're like, you're oh. like, oh, you're like, I don't know if. Montreal really should have. And then you got there like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. Definitely seven team. <laughs> yes. So uh, my baseball experience in Montreal, I took a little five-mile run for my hotel over run, to no bike because you didn't bring your bike. Oh. Didn't bring my bike. Used my old leg bike. <laughs> okay. Ran up to Olympic Stadium because I just wanted to see it, like where the Expos played. Yeah. A couple things about that stadium. So I don't know. How, how much do you know about Olympic Stadium, Jordan? I, I mean, I, As I like guess nothing thing. relative. I, I mean, I'm, also, okay. I, I'm most interested about what Olympic Stadium is used for now. but Nothing. Yeah, okay, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it is a white elephant. It is a disaster. I peered in from the outside through the glass, and it it's like, a, like Nuketown, abandoned uh, cod map vibes. It is very sad. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most disastrous stadium projects in the history of the world. Mm. It Love was that. over budget Congrats. and did not age well. When you see it from the outside. Now, I, I, I'm accepting that there has not been baseball played there since 2000. And the regular season baseball played there since 2004. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. Three, yeah. maybe. Yeah. It does not look good. <laughs> it's like, I'm not saying that like Montreal should have a team. I do genuinely believe that. That's another takeaway. You see so much baseball shit here. People wearing hats and shirts and expo stuff. So it's everywhere. But that stadium, I'm not saying that like, oh, the city of Montreal needed to pony up money for a new stadium. Olympic Stadium was not a viable option <laughs> for Major League Baseball. Not it. anymore. Not and I did not him. even go inside. <laughs> I did not even go inside the stadium. Okay. I did a lap of it. And I, I feel confident saying that. But you, you you were you gave us your review. I mean, I know you'd been there before of, of the Coliseum. 
um, a couple months ago. How Which would I you love. compare? I know you well, didn't go biggest, inside. It's not really fair, but you know. Yeah, I didn't go inside. I mean, I if the <laughs> if Olympic Stadium was still existing with baseball today, I'm sure it would be a hilarious experience for us. We would love it, mm-hmm. right? Because it is a historical relic mm-hmm. and a peek into the past. It's like um, Colonial Williamsburg, <laughs> but for the 70s in baseball, you know? Yeah. That being said, players would hate it because I'm sure the locker rooms are terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's not a... Probably not a great experience for fans. However, I didn't want to come on here and just trash Olympic Stadium. Okay. Well, you did. I know. But, but I know but, I did. Yeah, but, but turn it around. Let's, let's get. Let's get. It's positive. cool. It's a cool looking building. It's got this big tower uh, uh, above it. But I just, I walked up. I was like, huh. Yeah. I get it. it yeah. No. I. That's that's totally fair. Uh, but I understand you did have a, a positive uh, experience in Montreal on, on the baseball side of things as well. Probably the craziest interaction I've ever had in my life, I have to say. It was nuts. So I, I am walking with my fiance through the uh, one of the many beautiful markets here. I believe it was uh, the Jean Talon market in Montreal. Produce and shops and kiosks and whatever. And we're just walking past, you know, a bushel of figs uh, out on display, and I hear. Jake Mintz? <laughs> I turn around and it was a lovely, kind uh, French Canadian dude from Montreal named Leon, who is probably, I didn't ask exactly, he's probably like 20 years old, diehard listener of the show. Him and his dad, huge ball fans, they listen to the show. Oh, we talked for a while amazing. about his fandom. He's a huge Cubs fan. He works at a sausage shop. Mm. At the market, he invited me in, gave me a free sandwich. I insisted on paying, and they did not let me do it. I just want to let you know, I don't like taking free stuff, but I did take this, and the sandwich slapped, okay? And so utilizing my bizarre F-list baseball podcast fame for a free sausage sandwich in Montreal was a highlight of my weekend. So thank you to Leon for listening to the show. It's just like, you know, whatever this shit happens, this is so funny, man. Yes. I had a much more uh, version of that that happened at the Dayton Dragons game on Saturday night, which I attended with uh, one of our close friends, uh, Kinzabad. Shout out Kinzabad. And my lovely wife, because I have a wife because I got married. I don't know if you heard about that. Shouts out, Bailey. Uh, but yeah, walking into the Dayton Dragons game, I didn't tell anyone I was going to this game. And this fantastically nice young gentleman who worked for the Dayton Dragons named Grant. It's like, are you Jordan Schusterman? No French accent from Grant. Said yes. He said, I listened to every episode of Baseball Barbercast. He Ooh. delivered a fantastic Dayton Dragons related care package, which included this fantastic Ellie Dela Cruz bobblehead right behind me. So shouts out to Grant. I did buy the Dayton Dragons hat, so I, I couldn't take that one. I decided to support my local minor league baseball team. But it was very cool. I saw a great minor league game. Just minor league baseball. Just hmm. Best. Talk about soothes the soul, man. It just really, it is an automatic mood booster. It was a beautiful night and uh, just just makes me happy. So thank you, Grant. Shouts out to you, man. Bring baseball back to Montreal. That's, yeah. I'm just, I, 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 Jordan, you know it is the uh, eighth largest city in North America? Wow. How about Montreal? that? I, I did not know that. You know what I'm watching now? I'm watching the Vlad Jr. Mockoff 2018. In Montreal. In it's Montreal, incredible. off of Jack Flaherty in the bottom of the ninth, which is one of the funniest uh, parts of this. Uh, Jack Flaherty, is he hurt? Question mark, question mark, question mark. 
Uh, Jake Mintz, let's end this podcast. You need to, I believe you are returning to America today. Um, but thank you. Don't is want that, to. Is that, <laughs> don't want to, but you are. Uh, thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe, follow wherever you get your podcasts. So that thank you, get every you to you all for listening, but particularly Grant from Dayton. <laughs> Not Grant Dayton. Not um, Grant Dayton. Ooh, what's he up to? And Leon <laughs> from Montreal. Grant from Dayton. Uh, yes. This has been, I, I can't say enough good things about Montreal, Jordan, and enough bad things about Olympic Stadium from the outside. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, that's a good place to end it. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing, as always. We'll be back on Wednesday with more baseball barbacast goodness. Until then, uh, the Mariners are in first place. Haha, ha, that's hilarious. Bye, Jake Mid. Bye. Au revoir. Serious XM Podcasts.